0: All right, thank you so much. Let's go to the book of Isaiah and chapter number 53. The book of Isaiah and chapter number 53. All right. Glad that you made it here tonight. And, uh... And that you are. Uh, I hope you're ready to hear from the Word of God. And uh, I had a I had a good time getting to um, kind of meet some of you. Some of uh, some of you were able to stop by, and I got to spend a little bit of time uh, with some of you. And uh, I plan to again tomorrow. At least uh, for now, I'm planning on right after chapel being. Uh, being uh, just going by the coffee shop and being there till um, somewhere around lunchtime. So if you are, uh, so still, if you want to come by and chat, uh, you don't. If you walk by and say, "Oh, there's someone sitting there," or "There's two people sitting there," then that means what you need to do is get your own stool and bring it up and sit with us. Okay? That doesn't mean walk by. Just come on up and sit down next to us and uh, just join in, jump in the conversation, and because uh, I want to be able to meet uh, more of you and just get to enjoy uh, getting to know some of you and seeing where God's leading you and. See what God's plan is for you, and it's exciting to hear about what uh, what the Lord's doing in some of your lives, and, and uh, just what the future holds for you. And uh, of course, you know, right now, uh, you know, you're, um, you're very much involved in um, schoolwork, and you know, um, this is where God has you for now. So since God has you here for now, um, go all in, okay? And uh, right now, it might seem like, oh... Schoolwork? Yes, I know. It's going to help you. It really will. Um, It really will be uh, something that will help you. Um, Now, I don't know. People don't often take my advice on this, but um, I have um, one of the things about now it's Monday. So, um, uh, a lot of you, I won't ask for a raise of hands because it might be embarrassing. uh, But some of you, it's Monday, it's the first day of classes, and your plan tonight is to just have fun. I don't even know what that looks like. Maybe you're going to play basketball. Maybe you're going to uh, have a game night. Maybe you're just going to hang out with friends and do dumb stuff. I don't know what that's going to look like. But, um, can I advise you to do something? You know what I did, and uh, maybe you think I'm a nerd, um, but um, you know. On Monday, this is kind of a, this, I, just follow me here. On Monday, you know what I would do every Monday, the whole semester? Monday, you know what I would do that night? Especially, you have to start in the first night because usually, I know it seems overwhelming, but usually the homework for Wednesday is not that bad. Monday night, you, do, you can do Wednesday nights homework. Believe it or not, you don't have to party the whole night. You can actually take a couple hours and work on stuff for Wednesday. Then Tuesday comes and I know everyone's like, oh, but nothing's due yet. Oh, I don't have to do anything. No, Tuesday night, you could do Thursday's homework. And then when Wednesday comes, you work on Friday's homework. So that way when Thursday comes, you can work on Tuesday's homework. So that way when Friday comes, you can work on Monday's homework. So that way when Saturday comes, you have Monday and Tuesday pretty much done and you are available to minister on the weekends. Some of you are like, Oh, uh, that makes so much sense, I can't process it. You know, that's, I know, I know, I'm seeing it. Some of you, like, the uh, all the, the wires in your brain right now are going, and they're just kind of um, coming apart. Um, but it really did, that was uh, kind of a thing I, I worked towards because, you know, I'll just tell you this. Listen, uh, I had I worked jobs on campus, and I had uh, I, you know I was working uh, somewhere between uh, ten to fifteen, I think sometimes twenty hours a week. A few some different semesters, um, semesters having fifteen to eighteen credits and all that. But I'll tell you what, one of the things that I uh, was important was that I wanted to be a part of ministry, and I wanted to be out and getting involved in churches. And um, so so make sure you are doing what you can so that you can be a part of other churches' ministries. Don't be just stuck here. And and uh, doing whatever, but get out and uh, get used, get involved in ministry. There's so much, so many churches that can use you. And uh, I want to—I'll challenge you on that a little bit later on, uh, coming in this week. But um, uh, so uh, it's not a bad thing to start uh, to start working on some, maybe something tonight. I don't know. But if nothing else, just don't be intimidated by all that you got today, and uh, get excited about uh, all that uh, all that's coming up. Uh, the Lord's got stuff for you. Uh, maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're not a part of uh, Maranatha, but you. Just just showed up for the opening services. Hey, I am so glad you came. Uh, you are very welcome here. We are glad that you're on campus. I hope that tonight will be a blessing to you and, um, and that you'll get to maybe meet a couple of students and just uh, kind of get, uh, get um, uh, to know a couple of the quality students that we have here. Uh, if you're not a quality student, just walk past the visitors, okay? Um, uh, but um, you'll get to know a few of the people here and uh, just hopefully uh, get a little bit of a blessing here tonight. So, all right, so we're in the book of Isaiah and chapter number 53. You know, one of the things now, of course, I get to travel. I get to travel all over the place, and uh, been in, uh, I have been to every state uh, except for Hawaii. So if someone could hook me up with Hawaii, okay, uh, that would be great, I uh, get, uh, get out there. Um, but I've been able to be now in every state except for Hawaii, and uh, not preach in every state, but at least be in every state. And a lot of different people, a lot of different cultures. Um, you know, one thing, though, uh, that I have noticed, and one of the things for me is I had, um, I was homeschooled a lot of my uh, elementary country and, um, and teen years. Um, but I did spend um, uh, second through sixth grade in a Christian school. Of course, I went to a Christian college as well. And you know, um, one of the things that, can I just say this, and can I be real with you, is uh, one of the things that greatly burdens me. And uh, I'll just say this, even though as I look out, uh, y'all look so nice, you're dressed well, you're in dress code, and everything just seems to, you know, a lot of people look out and look at you and just say, wow, you know, this is what a perfect group of people. And you know, uh, one of the things that God, you know, definitely in my own life has realized, for one thing, we're not all perfect. I remember being a college student and the needs that I had. But can I just say this? Can I, I want to be a help to a specific set of you tonight. You may be here, And you have successfully gotten your parents, the faculty, staff, your Christian school back home that you graduated from, you have successfully gotten them all to believe that you are saved and you know you're not. Listen, some of you you say, well, that's not me. I know, I know, I got, got it, got it, got it. Listen, there are some of you sitting right here Some of you maybe have served at camp this summer, and you know you're not saved. Some of you have, um, I don't know, you've done a lot of things for the Lord, and even served the Lord in maybe some different capacities, and maybe it would almost be for you, maybe it would almost be an embarrassment to have to admit and to say uh, admit and to say well I just I've never actually accepted Jesus Christ as my savior I've just kind of always played the part people always just kind of assumed it and listen can I tell you what tonight is not supposed to do tonight is not supposed to make people who are saved doubt their salvation tonight is especially for you that you know you've played the fake and you've done it successfully, but can I tell you this? You may have faked out your faculty, staff. You may have faked out uh, your parents. You may have faked out your pastor and your youth pastor. Can I tell you something? When you stand before God, you are going to wish that you had just dealt with the embarrassment tonight and enjoyed the bliss of eternity with Jesus. So let me help you tonight from the book of Isaiah. You know, um, this in this book, especially in chapters forty-two through fifty-three, um, the prophet Isaiah tells us all kinds of things about a person, a person called. The servant of the Lord. Sometimes there's some there's a little bit of speculation on exactly um, who this is, but uh, this is someone who is coming, and the Bible indicates that this is someone who is coming who is going to suffer on behalf of many, many people. And one thing I love is that um, you know the Book of Isaiah is written in the 700s BC, and I love how the fact of the uh, the prophecies that are here in Isaiah that are, that are going to point forward to none other than the very person of jesus christ you know one thing that if i can just share this with you one thing that has helped um, to strengthen my faith is uh, just to realize um, how many prophecies there are in the scriptures Um, from one uh one place where i read said had them listed and said there are over uh, 300 references to 61 prophecies in the bible just about jesus i mean that's that's a lot that's a lot of prophecies. And um, you know what is amazing? And then also I read that if you, um, if you were to take just eight of these, one um, mathematician had taken eight of these prophecies and uh, kind of laid them out and said, what is the probability of eight of these things coming true in one sane person? He said the chance is one in ten at, with 17 zeros after it. 10 to the 17th power. He says the chances of that happening are 1 in whatever that number is. 10 with 17 zeros zeros after it. And folks, Jesus did not just fulfill 8 prophecies. He fulfilled them all. And uh, just what a faith, uh, faith builder that is for me to know that here's these books written hundreds, centuries, of, uh, uh, centuries before Jesus was ever uh, born in this earth, before he ever existed, uh, to let us know who the coming Savior would be. And Isaiah 53 declares that this servant is going to be more than a mere man. That this servant of the Lord is going to be more than just a prophet. The Isaiah 53 indicates that the servant of the Lord is going to be someone who has the intrinsic value and ability within himself to atone for sin. And that is someone who is more than a prophet. That is someone who is more than just a than just a, a mere man. This is someone who is God. With human flesh. I mean, we just came out of the Christmas season, and I, I love Christmas because it is just, uh, for one thing, presents, you know. But also in the Christmas season, this is uh, really I, I like to call it uh, the kickstart on God's redemption plan. That Jesus, born in a manger, he was not. He was not born half God and half man. He was born one hundred percent God and one hundred percent man. He was a. Div- he is a divine being above what we can imagine, above what we could ask or think, and this. Scripture here in Isaiah 53 points forward to him and tells us about Jesus and telling us that he is going to come and that he is going to suffer. And folks, I want you to look tonight and I want you to just enjoy tonight seeing the suffering Savior. So first of all, I want you to see tonight from Isaiah 53. uh, For us to first see, number one, who is this Savior? Well, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, in verse number one, it says, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Verse two says about this coming Savior, it says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. So who is the Savior? For one thing, uh, if you want to know something about his background, the prophet says that he will not co- that he will not come from any kind of fancy or royal background. Now I love the phrase there where it says he will come as a root out of a dry ground. In other words, uh, if you've ever been to the desert, you know that you know in that ecosystem there's only certain plants that are able to survive and thrive in a desert system. You know, you're not going to go out there. Now, I don't know flowers, okay? I'm not big on flowers. It's just... Yeah, You know, I'm not big on flowers. I buy them for my wife. That's the extent of what I do. And, um, but you know, there are certain flowers that just will not grow in desert conditions. And you know what he's, and, the, and so the prophet says Jesus is going to be like a flower growing up in the middle of a desert. In other words, he's going to come from somewhere you would not expect him to come from. Remember when one of the disciples said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? When he found out Jesus was coming from Nazareth, Jesus, here he is, he's the, he's the king of kings. He's the creator of the universe, but he's born in a manger coming from a, a city called Nazareth. So he, he didn't have a fancy background. Uh, he didn't have a fancy appearance. It says he hath no form nor comeliness. In other words, he wasn't some kind of model. He wasn't some kind of, you know, if you were to look at him, you wouldn't have said, now there's the big leader man. You know, he would have just looked like any other normal Jew in that time. But verse 3 then tells us, it says that he is despised and rejected of men. What would happen is Jesus, as he is, um, he's born, he grows, he lives uh, uh, this perfect sinless life. As he begins his ministry there in the, in the country of Israel, begins to preach repentance. The Bible says that he was despised and rejected of men. In other words, people in his hometown, and not just his hometown, but elsewhere across the nation, people rejected him. You know why? Because he wasn't their version of a Savior that they wanted. They wanted a deliverer from Rome. They wanted the shackles thrown off and they wanted a return to the golden age of Solomon. But Jesus did not come as a wrong deliverer. He came as a sin deliverer. And you know, the people didn't really want that. You know, I wonder if here tonight... Maybe you like the fact, maybe you kind of like the, the idea about God that, you know, oh, he, uh, you know, he hears prayer, he answers prayer. Maybe your hope about God, you, you don't mind it. Maybe you've been treating God as just someone who's there to answer your prayers, someone who's there to make your way easy and such, but you don't want to become honest with God about your sin. You know what Jesus wants tonight? He wants you to come honest with him about your sin. And he wants you to deal with it with your sin. And his job, verse number 4 says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The word grief has the idea of sickness and the word sorrows has the idea of pain. And these two words has the idea of, of healing and not, but it's not talking about Physical healing from diseases or sicknesses or something like that, God Jesus' job coming on this earth was to deli- was for the healing of mankind, not of their physical diseases but of their spiritual diseases. In other words, he was coming to suffer for sinners. So that's who the Savior is. So then let's look at this. Now that we kind of got an idea of who this Savior is, let's look at the sinners who are in need of this Savior. Verse number 6, Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And so verse 6 tells us that every single one of us is a sinner. The Bible compares us to sheep. And the idea that sheep, that if they were left on their own, sheep naturally follow their own path. There's not someone to guide them. Sheep kind of just follow their own path. And usually that path leads to their destruction. And Jesus compares us to sheep and says, we're all like sheep. The pro- or I should say the prophet, compares us all and says, you're like sheep that have gone astray. You're like a, the sheep that have turned to your own way. And you know what often happens when a, she- when a sheep is kind of follows after its own path is that path leads to destruction. And folks, the Bible, the Bible is very clear that every single one of us is a sinner. That no, no one can say, well, I'm better than the next guy. No, in God's eyes, God categorizes every single one of us as a sinner. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Maybe you came up with the idea that, well, I guess I'm not perfect, but I wouldn't categorize myself as a sinner. Friend, you need to see yourself the way God sees you. God sees you and me, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, he sees us as sinners. We are all naturally, our natural born tendency, like, like the natural born tendency of a sheep is to go astray and do its own thing. We are born with a natural tendency to, go, to, to sin because that is who we are at our core. If you, if you ever think that you're not uh, really a sinner, you clearly have never had kids. All you got to do is just have kids. And then you'll realize, oh, we are born sinners. <laughs> and you will know it firsthand. You will actually get to experience it. It's, it's a truth. It's reality. And, a, and it says here, verse number six, remember how we said that sheep, as they go astray, they follow their own path. They ought, that path oftentimes will lead to their own destruction. Verse number six says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. It says, and the Lord, that's Yahweh, hath laid on him, the servant of the Lord, Jesus has laid upon him the iniquity, the sin of us all. In other words, in other words the verse is saying that God had to do something with your sin. In other words, your sin was not something that could be passed over. Your sin was not something that could be ignored or repackaged. Your sin has to be punished. It's got to be punished. Otherwise God would not be fair. You know, if someone was to commit a crime against you, and you were to go to court over this thing, and uh, you would expect, you know what a fair judge would do? A fair judge would pass down a sentence on someone who has committed a crime. He will put a punishment upon someone who has committed a crime. You know, if they didn't, if, if a judge didn't uh, put a sentence or a punishment on someone who committed a crime, you would call that judge not fair. But God is absolutely fair and because he's fair he's got to punish your sin. He has to punish my sin. Isaiah 3.11 says, Woe unto the wicked. It shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. Psalm 9.17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And so what God did in his mercy was he took the punishment that you and I should be bearing for our sins and he laid it instead of it should be laid upon us and we should suffer eternally eternal death in the flames of hell God took your punishment verse 6 says and he laid it on the back of Jesus Christ and that's cuz he loves you a whole lot he laid that punishment upon the back of Jesus Christ which means this Jesus is the only one who can bear the punishment for your sin no one else can nothing else can good works cannot you might think that you're you know, being a pretty good person and living a pretty good life. Listen, I'm glad you are, but those will not pay for sins. You know why? Because sin's penalty, Romans 6.23 says that sin's penalty is death. The only thing that will pay for sin is death. That is why good works cannot pay for your sins. Baptism cannot pay for your sins. Communion cannot pay for your sins. Sacraments cannot pay for your sins. Church attendance cannot pay for your sins. Bible reading cannot pay for your sins because none of them involves anybody dying. Only death can pay for your sins. And really, you have a choice. It can be your eternal death in hell, or it could be that you could accept the payment of Jesus' death on the cross as the payment for your sins. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 24, says, who in his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. You know, um, one thing about this, this servant of the Lord, this Jesus, is that here he is, that he is the one who is bearing the punishment that God's wrath has to pour out on sin, even though he was innocent. So you've seen the, um, you've seen the, 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 uh, the Savior's background. Have, who is this Savior? We've seen the sinners in need of a Savior. I want you then to see the innocence of the savior. You know, the Bible indicates that Jesus, of course, that he the Bible I shouldn't say indicates, the Bible declares for us that Jesus was absolutely perfect, yet he submitted to this punishment that God was laying on him for your sins and my sins. Verse 7 says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. In other words, just in the same way that a sheep is brought to the shearers and doesn't know what's coming, in the same way that a lamb that is going to be slaughtered to be used for a sacrifice or for uh, or it's, its um its body used for a meal, these these sheep they have no idea what's coming. In the same way, Jesus quietly submitted to his. Death and he submitted to it without struggle, without resistance, and he willingly did this. Why? Because God loves you. You know, we eat, we quickly, we are so quick to change. We're so fickle. We just we sway, we sway back and forth so quickly, and we sometimes we doubt: Does Jesus really love? me oh sure he probably loves that guy over there that woman over there that just got a whole big blessing but I don't know if God loves me listen you ever doubt God's love the fact that God would look down on filthy sinners like you and me and would say even though I'm innocent I would take your punishment in your place even though you don't deserve it and I don't have to take it tell you what that is the perfect picture of love that is the perfect picture That God loves you so much that He would come to earth and die in your place, even though He was absolutely innocent so then what else do we see after the innocence of the savior we see the suffering of the savior the bible tells us that jesus on that day even though he was innocent when he went to the cross to pay for our sins he suffered greatly to pay for your sins and to pay for my sins as he suffered that day and why look at verse number five verse five says but he was wounded for our transgressions. That word wounded, it's a word that means uh, to pierce. And it has the, I think it's a perfect, um, perfect uh, kind of um, prophecy and, an all- and uh, a uh, allusion to what was coming, how that Jesus would be pierced upon a cross. I don't think the prophet back then could have imagined the death of a cross and yet he, he's, all- he's prophesying it and these things came true. Jesus, as he went that day to the cross, he was taken. And the Bible tells us that he was nailed to a cross as the Romans Typically did, they would have taken uh, railroad spikes. they wouldn't have been these little tiny nails, but they would have been uh, spikes the size, uh, the size of a railroad spikes. They would have driven them right under, not really probably not in the hands, but down in the wrist to get the person locked in there to get it settled inside the bones and to pierce through the nerve that would run straight down the arm. And there Jesus' arm, his um, wrists were pierced. Why? Because your sin is not funny. And because your sin had a gruesome payment of death and a big price tag on it. Yet Jesus was pierced for your transgressions and for my transgressions. You know, the word transgression there is a word, you know, you, you see in your Bible a lot of different kind of um, words for, uh, kind of synonyms for sin. And this word transgression means a revolt or a Rebellion. In other words, you know what God says? Your sin is not just some kind of a mistake. God says your sin is an act of rebellion against a holy, righteous creator. For the one who has made you, the one who built you, the one who thought about you before the foundation of the world, he is the one who has set the moral standard uh, for us and for for eternity. He is the one who has determined right and wrong. And when we sin against God, it's not just some kind of a mistake, but it is a violation. It is a rebellion against the very person and nature of God. Colossians 1.21 says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Because there, Jesus, suffering on that cross, was t- enduring the wrath of God that should have been poured out on you and me. He was wounded. He was pierced for our transgressions. Verse 5 then says, And he was Bruised for our iniquities. The idea of bruised there—it's a word that means it's a word that means to crush. And Jesus that day on on the cross was crushed under the load and the weight of your sin, which again tells me this: your sin is not funny. It's not something to just pass over like it's nothing. Your sin was what was, wa- was was the weight that came down upon Jesus, which caused him as Jesus. It's just the most, one of the most fascinating things uh, in, our, in our earth's history that Jesus, as he hung there on that cross, it was as if the picture I always get in mind, it was as if that day that God took every last time that you've lusted, every last time you've grown angry, every last time you've lied or stolen or, or cursed, and it was as if God compressed every one last one of your sins and my sins it was as if he compressed them into one moment of time and then dumped the whole burden on jesus christ and then there on that cross as jesus bore that sin god the father turns his back on god the son causing jesus to scream out my god my god why have you forsaken me and for the first time, there was a, there was some kind of a, of a tear, almost like, for lack of a better way to put it, a tear, a rip that occurred in in, a, in an eternal Trinity as Jesus bore your sin, a weight that He did not have to bear, but He did because He loved you. And yet, you consider Him to not be worthy of confessing your sin, of becoming a Christian. You'd rather play the fake. You'd rather live the sin you want to live. Listen, your sin cost Jesus a lot. He was crushed. He was bruised for your, for your iniquities. The word iniquity means depravity. It also has the idea of an offense. You ever said, oh, so-and-so, they offended me. You ever used that phrase before? He, she offended me. You, do you know that your sin... Offends God. Just imagine how many times you've sinned in your short life. You know, let's pretend this is just pretending, but let's just say each day you had one bad one sinful thought, one sinful action, and one sinful word. Let's just say we're having a really good day. Three three sins in a day. If you were to just sin three times a day, times three hundred and sixty-five days in a year, that's about a thousand sins in a year. You live to be seventy-five, that would be seventy-five thousand times that you offended God. Whoa, hey, what would you do with someone who offended you 75,000 times? You would say, I need to get toxic people out of my life. That's what we'd say today. Isn't it amazing that even though you've offended God way more than that, He says, I will not stop coming after you, I will not stop chasing after you, I will not, I, I love you too much, I will not let you alone. I will keep coming for you and offering you my salvation because I love you that much. He was bruised, crushed for our depravities, our offenses. It says in verse number five then, it says that the chastisement of our peace was upon him. That's kind of a little bit of an awkward phrase. The word chastisement means punishment. And it's just simply saying the punishment that brought about our peace, it says, was upon him. In other words, it's because Jesus died on that cross that you can know peace with God. Some of you, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and you don't have the peace you're looking for. Do you know when you will reconcile your sin with God, God gives peace? You know, if you watch old westerns, you know, oftentimes... You know the big the big hero. You know sometimes he's put in, he's put in jail for something he didn't do. What always happens in those old westerns? He's put in jail. He's going to get strung up the next morning. And you know the Padre shows up. You know Padre shows up and uh, and he what does he always ask in those westerns? Son, have you made your peace with God? You know it's it's so. Those westerns are so empty in that moment because this is not just something, and usually the, West, you know, the, uh, the star of the show just says, oh, I'm, I'm all set. You know, I've made my peace with God, whatever. Uh, I'm okay on these things, or whatever. I don't know. But the, the point is this, is that, listen, you can actually know peace with God. You don't have to keep on going through life wondering, what does God think about me? It does, God, does God have to you know, this punishment? What is this punishment that is upon me? You can know peace with God. Then he says at the end of verse 5, not only was the chastisement of our peace laid upon him, but it says, and with his stripes we are healed. The spiritual healing of mankind to heal us of our sin problem Came through the suffering of Jesus as He suffered there. And I love how specifically it brings out the idea of stripes, and of course, on the day that Jesus died, before He went to the cross, He suffered. Uh, so He suffered so deeply. He suffered the um, uh, uh, whipping at the at Pilate's uh, at Pilate's um, uh, command. And back in those days, they didn't they didn't tie him to a post that was on the ground. What they would do is they would oftentimes take these men and they would take them and either string their hands up high or string them spread eagle, and they would put them up tight so that their toes were. Bare barely touching the ground until all the muscles along their back were tight then the romans would come out with a whip called the cat of nine tails and this was uh, it was a uh, it was a whip that had a uh, it had a uh, handle it had nine leather strands coming out of it and these romans would practice with this leather with this whip in the same way that some of you practice sports and as that man uh, was sta- was standing there tied you know, with his uh, with his arms outstretched those roman soldiers would come in with this whip and those strands would come around the body and at the end of every one of those strands there was usually a broken piece of glass or a broken piece of pottery or a sharp rock or something that had been tied on. And as those strings would come around the body, that sharp object would catch in the front and then the Roman soldier would pull back with all of his might. And as the whipping went on, oftentimes it wasn't one, but it was two going at this thing so that as the, and as the one was pulling back, the one on the other side could already be going in. And folks, they beat and beat and beat upon Jesus because your sin required a brutal death because it is that bad. Your sin ain't funny. It's not. Jesus suffered so much to pay for your sins and yet you still you still want to play the fake. You still are just kind of um, brushing God aside and saying, I'll, I'll deal with my sins sometime. Maybe tonight's not the right time. I'll maybe figure it out another time. This is, what a sad response to the fact that Jesus was wounded. He was, he, he was pierced for your rebellions, that he was he was crushed for your offenses, and that uh, the peace of God that was brought about by his punishment, and that with his stripes you can know healing. Here's Jesus. He has suffered the death penalty that we should have had to pay for our own sins. And I love how even here in this chapter in verse number 10, it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Again, to crush him. Uh, again, reminiscent back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, where the first prophecy came out that, that, that there was going to be a savior that would be crushed by the load of sin and it says yet it pleased the lord to bruise him he hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin but it says he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days You know, um, if you're reading through this chapter, you're obviously, you know, if you were to read through this chapter, you'd realize, okay, it sounds like whoever is suffering here is going to die. Why in the world then in verse 10 does it say, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. I think this is also a reference to the fact that three days after the cross, Jesus rose from the dead. And folks, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is not just an occasion for us to have an extra special service at Easter time. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead means this, is that there is someone in this universe who has absolute power and absolute authority over death. Which means that here's Jesus, he's the one who has authority over death. And since he has authority over death, Jesus is is authorized to offer anyone he wants eternal life. Jesus has opened up the floodgates and has, he's of course offered it to the Jews and praise the Lord, he has now opened them wider and offered it to the Gentiles and he has said, whosoever will may come. He loves you that much. As he rose from the dead, he rose from the dead, defeating death. 1 Corinthians 15 says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith's in vain, for you are yet in your sins. But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the first fruits of them that slept, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So here's the last thing I want you to see, is the decision that you need to make. Because here he says, he shall see his seed. Literally, he shall see some offspring. It's the idea, I think this is, um, uh, this idea of an offspring is very well illustrated by John 1, 12, where, Jesus, where the Bible says, but as many as receive him, to them, it says, God gives the power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. I love the family picture that God gives, the idea that when you receive Jesus as your Savior, when you accept that you are the sinner that God says you are, that you are under the punishment of God, that Christ's death on the cross is the only, the only, the only sufficient payment, and you receive that for yourself. I love the family picture. God says you become a child of God. What a blessing. Some of you... Some of you only know havoc and torment in your family. And home is not a happy place to be. You know, that's, Jesus says, listen, no matter what is in your past, no matter what your family looks like, he says you could be a part of the family of God. Verse 11, the Bible says that he, Jesus, or he he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And it says, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. You know what the word justified means? It has the idea of to declare someone not guilty. You know what God wants to do? God God is not trying to ignore your sin. God is not trying to to, uh, act like it never happened. But there has been a payment that has been made for your sin. It's not like God all of a sudden ignores it and says, oh, I forgive you, and you know what, we'll just ignore it, and nothing. it's almost like it never happened. No, what happened was the penalty for your sin has been laid on Jesus. And you've got to decide if you're going to accept that as the sufficient payment for your sins. Can I tell you something? God would love to justify you tonight if you've never been. I said, friend, what's it going to take for you'll finally drop the facade and you'll drop the, 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 drop the fakeness and drop the fake face that you've been putting on. And, and not, not so much to please me, not to please your parents or your pastor, but to, but to come before God and say, I don't care what others think. I need, I need eternal life. I need to be reconciled with my Creator God. What's it going to take? Here's Jesus. I'll tell you what he would love more than anything else is that you would accept him and put your trust, your dependence on Christ to uh, the one who already has borne your iniquities on the cross to accept his payment as sufficient payment for your sins. When will you? When will you? Romans 10, 13 says... Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love how um, the Bible says, uh, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I think that's a great concept to hold on to because, you know, the Bible indicates that now is the time because tomorrow may be too late. And you don't know what will be tomorrow. You don't know. You know I'm, a, I'm a football. You know, I'm an NFL fan. Guys aren't supposed to have heart attacks on a football field. You know, Some of you know who I'm talking about. The guy for the Buffalo Bills, Demore Hamlin. You're, not supposed to ha- you're supposed to tear your ACL and recover from it eventually. You're not supposed to have CPR on a field. Here's a guy just doing his job, didn't even get hit that weird of a hit, had a heart attack and almost died. We don't know. What will be tomorrow and yet some of you play with your eternity like you're in charge but jesus he has he is the one who can offer you eternal life i want to kind of close with this story it was um after it was after world war one uh there were it was somewhere from what i read it was around 900 germans had um, violated international law and they were summoned uh, to appear before the world court and uh, their guilt was certain and it was proved. And it was the former crown prince of Germany that came forward at this, at this, um, at this uh, court event where these 900 Germans were about to be sentenced for their crimes and this crown prince of Germany volunteered to be their substitute. In other words, he said, I will take upon myself the accusation against them and their penalty. And even though this was so noble, they couldn't accept it. The the court could not accept it. You know why? They said, you, sir, you might be be the prince of Germany, but they said, you don't have within yourself the intrinsic value of 900 people. You can't pay for the crimes of 900 people. You know what's great is that 2,000 years ago, God came down in human flesh, and he had within himself the perfection, the intrinsic value to pay for the sins of all of mankind. And what is so great is that he offers a gracious hand and says, will you come? Will you receive Jesus? Will you accept his payment as the payment for your sins, or are you going to continue to push him away and continue to say, I'll try another day? Don't wait. Don't wait. Let's bow our heads. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Folks, this is big. This is big. Listen, Listen, I bet for probably probably everyone in this room, you knew almost every detail of what was preached here tonight. But I, I, I'll just tell you, I, I'm not the greatest Christian you've ever seen in the world, but I will tell you this, I have asked the Holy Spirit to convict tonight. Maybe that's what the Holy Spirit is doing right now, is that He is on top of you, poking and prodding and saying, you know that's you. Listen, you might be the only one. Can I tell you something? Your eternity is not worth waiting some more. So let's be simple here tonight.